Hi everyone, you are tuning in to Learn FM. My name is Lian Tan, and I invite you to join me on a learning adventure through this podcast, where we discuss topics related to learning, growth, personal development, and more. I hope that you are able to digest the information that we'll be sharing and start applying some simple tips and tricks into your daily life. And don't forget to share your learnings with others, because when we learn together, we grow together. I highly recommend that you take time off screen to listen to this, or even go outside for a walk. Of course, please be mindful of your surroundings and stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by DSM. DSM is a global, purpose-led, science-based company active in nutrition, health, and sustainable living. DSM's purpose is to create brighter lives for all. In this episode, we discuss how to reach peak performance. If you're wondering what peak performance means, here's a quick definition. Peak performance is a state in which the person performs to the maximum of their ability, categorized by subjective feelings of confidence, effortlessness, and a total concentration on the task. If you are like me, you might be interested to find out more about how peak performance do what they do. What is their routine, and how do they manage it? In this episode, we have a sneak preview of what it looks like from one of our very own leaders at DSM, who practices peak performance in personal and professional life. Before we dive in, as much as it is so enticing for us to keep pushing ourselves all the time to achieve, remember that your mental health and well-being is as vital to peak performance as your physical fitness. Peak performers like athletes and top business leaders in the world are known to have a solid support system and routine in place. For example, athletes have coaches, personalized nutrition, training, and recovery plans to ensure that they can keep achieving the next milestone. They know and understand that rest and recovery is crucial for peak performance, and they make time for that. If you want to learn how to reach peak performance, research also shows that you need to harness your physical, mental, and emotional resources. It is also important to build practical strategies into your day-to-day life so that you can develop the mental muscle you need to outperform even yourself. Our guest today is Dimitri Davreza, co-CEO and COO, and member of the managing board at DSM. He also has a passion for competitive cycling. Hi, Dimitri. How are you doing today? Perfectly okay, thank you. I think it's a sunny, bright day yeah. here in uh, in Switzerland, where I'm today. Oh, very jealous about that. Oh, we're going to start with some fun facts. Question: I think you're pretty familiar with this concept. The first question we have is: What is your guilty pleasure? Ah, oh, yeah. uh, chocolate, uh, milk chocolate. The problem is that if we have a chocolate bar. I find it very difficult to refrain myself to eat the whole chocolate bar. So I always start with one piece, and then my wife says, "I thought we had a whole chocolate bar," and I said, "Yeah, I thought so too." So I find that extremely difficult just to save a few bits and pieces for the next day. So that's my guilty pleasure. Nice. You are a proud father. That's what we heard. How would your children describe you? Oh, yeah. You should ask them. Um, uh, I hope they would say that they know that I love them, that I have full trust in them, that I'm proud, and they basically will describe me as someone who is 
intense, passionate fight for what he believes in, and that they definitely get that as part of their education uh, going forward. And what gives you butterflies in your belly? Oh, yeah. Um, in COVID, that's interesting. I always got butterflies when I was when the plane was landing and I was taking the car to go back home with the family, my wife, the kids. That was a moment that I got butterflies. Just landing, that landing spot after a, an intense traveling week or weeks, um, I have to say. That is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing this. And the next question is, what is your favorite song and you are not allowed to say something from 1DSM? Ah, no, uh, certainly not the songs I participated in because those were not beautiful. But um, my favorite song, I mean, I like blues, but in all fairness, the favorite song I had when I was 14, 15 years old was uh, from Carlos Santana, She's Not There. And I still like that song. So if I feel down when I need energy, when I really need to get going, I'm using that song. She's not there with a fantastic guitar solo. And I'm an amateur guitar player. I mean, don't ever, ever ask me to play guitar. But uh, uh, in my mind, I'm always a better guitar player than I'm reality art. But I can easily mimic Carlos Santana while doing the guitar solo. That's the beauty part of, uh, of She's Not There. I don't know if you know the song. But it's a fantastic song. Now, we heard... Dimitri, that you are a very passionate athlete, especially in the field of competitive cycling. Could you share with us what got you into the sport? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um, I liked sports in general. <laughs> I'm extremely competitive. Any game, little, small, I wanted to win. And it started a little bit uh, with the biking, where I think after a while, if you go into your career you need to recreate moments to re-energize. And um, I found that re-energization when I'm on my bike. And the interesting is that if you really push yourself to the limits physically, you also push yourself to the limits mentally. And I found that while being on my bike, this serves an enormous purpose for me. And so I started a little bit with this for myself and I started biking on my own. But I'm also someone who gets energy by doing it in a team sport. So I played soccer. I did a lot of team sports going forward. And I was missing that in biking. And then we were discussing that with friends. And we started a sort of a biking team with about eight people on our team. And then when I start biking, I have this competitive element into it. And I really wanted to, to train. And the beauty of biking is you have every data there. You know how much you bike what your recovery is, what your VO2 max is, what your heart rate variability is. And the bad thing about me is that that's then the reference and you want to improve every time. And you certainly want to show in the team that you're one of the best, right? My personal opinion, right? So I was always doing an extra mile just to make sure that I was well prepared, that I was one of the better riders in the team. And uh, yeah, uh, that, that creating that competitive element next to the fact that after a bike ride, I really emptied my head. So by going through the max, searching for the boundaries physically, it also helped my mental mindset. And uh, I feel far more happy after a bike ride than when I didn't ride my bike for a couple of days. And how do you prepare for a peak performance sport? So maybe you're going to go for a race. What does your routine look like? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having a fixed routine. So I always like to go into sort of a three, four steps to the race. So I start with a good night's sleep and not the day before, but the day before the day. Because if I have the race, the day before the race, 
you're still a bit excited that the race will come, right? So you basically sleep better the day before. So it's not the day before the race, it's the day before the day for the race. So, uh, and I need that sleep. So, I mean, there are lots of people who do a peak performance if they sleep four or five hours. Uh, I'm on my worst. So that's one. Secondly, I have a routine where I really look at what I eat. I normally eat healthy, but I look at my diet because every kilo um, when you ride your bike in the mountains is a kilo which you need to take uphill, right? So I always look at the pastas, I look at grains, I look at my drinking rhythm because you need to stay hydrated. So that's the second part. The third part is, and maybe that's a bit mentally, I always check my biking gear. And maybe there's a bit of a faith in luck, but I always ride my bike where I have prepared the bike where I oil the machine the day before, right? Not during, not the week before, but the day before, because then it feels physically, mentally, that everything is well prepared. And the fourth one is that I want to review a bit the data. So I look at my data, I look at the, the computer screen, and then uh, based on that data, I prepare a bit the plan for the day before. So sometimes if it's early morning, I'm not an early morning person, but sometimes the ride start at 8 or sometimes at 7.30, then I really need to take the first two hours just to get into the rhythm. So yeah, now it's a bit the attack plan. People who, who basically go full throttle the first two hours, then you don't see me. I'm a bit of a diesel that I need to warm up, certainly in the morning. Races in the afternoon are a bit easier because then I'm awake and then I'm there from the beginning. I sort of visualize how the day will look like. And then obviously at the end of the day, because it's the most beautiful part, if you shower after a successful riding day, that is, uh, that is what I keep in mind when I'm on the bike. Thank you for sharing this. And you have your plan before the race. Do you also plan for recovery time? Yeah, I think there are a few recovery moments, but even recovery moments on the bike. Um, and I don't know if you ever tried it yourself, but if you breathe in and breathe out through your nose, that is the best way to recover. It is scientifically proven that then your heart rate, but also blood pressure goes down. So even in the heat of the moment, if you go climb or if you go for a sprint, I always have a few moments where I breathe in through my nose and breathe out through your nose. Um, and that calms down my heart rate and therefore I have more performance on the go. So I use off and on the bike, the nose breathing as a bit of reflection and recovery time, also mentally. Because then you basically go away from the race, but you go into yourself. And I think that has helped me quite a bit, not only on the bike ride, but also when I'm on the office, when I'm presenting, when I'm on the road, I'm taking care of my breathing and even count the number of breathing uh, rhythms throughout the minute. So it gives you a bit of an anchor point. If you want to try it, it will take you a year before that habit comes in because most people don't even think about what their breathing rhythm is. Some people, I think 45% of the people, breathe through their mouth. And it's really, really better to breathe through your nose in and out if you can. But you need to practice it. So it took me a, a year to really do that. Now it's part of my daily rhythm. Yeah, thank you for sharing this. It, there is so much power in breathing and we always forget that. That's the most basic thing to help us de-stress. So I'm glad you're highlighting this. And I'm very curious... You know, we also have a cycling team at DSM called Team DSM. Do you also follow the races as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely fanatic on what these riders do. By the way, it's the it's the men, it's the women, and it's the talents, right? So on all three fronts, I have on a regular basis contact with the team, also to see the data because I like the data-driven 
development. I mean, you know that the team is also using personalized nutrition. They use the MixFit machine to personalize the nutrition based on their rhythm and the exercise. Also, what they eat. Uh, I don't know if you've seen in the team challenge that they prepare their own food. There's a food truck which is joining the riders. They measure everything. In that sense, it's a unique opportunity where we combine our expertise in animal nutrition and human nutrition into the riders. Because I sometimes compare these riders that they are in between animals and humans. Because the interesting is that what you propose they should eat to have peak performance, they do, like the animals, right? They eat what you propose. Human beings still have their opinion of their own, saying, this I don't like, this I don't eat. These riders are so geared up to improving their performance that they're really interested in to get the scientific data on what they should eat. Secondly, we measure everything. Heartbeat, blood, even if they go to the bathroom, right? We measure what goes in and what goes out. Uh, and then change our personalized nutrition to improve their performance. So I find it a fantastic innovation platform going forward. So we have loads of data. It will take a bit of time to build that up because you can't do that from one day to another. But I'm extremely confident that we can help these riders to have better performance going forward. That's really cool. I didn't really know about this and I'm definitely going to check out as well. Now, speaking of teams, the question I have for you is, what qualities make someone a good teammate or a captain? I think you should ask yourself, where do you get your energy from? And if you are a team player, you get your energy from the fact that you win as a team. So, for instance, let's just go back and visualize that you are in a competition and that you as individual win that competition. Whatever competition it is, and you have Nobody to celebrate that with. How boring that is. Winning only makes sense if you do it together. Because otherwise you win in splendid isolation. So even in individual sports, that individual can only win because it gets support based from their coaches or from their family or because basically they have advices received from different people around the globe. So you win together, uh, even in an individual sports, but certainly... In team sports, you win together. And that for me, uh, from the beginning, winning together is the best that could happen. And, and even while going through your career at DSM, I would have never imagined that you could, you could win while being a coach. Because I always thought you can only enjoy the win if you are a player in the team or a captain in the team. That's so not true. I think the beauty is that you can even maybe even enjoy it more that if the team based on your coaching, is winning because that creates an indirect effect, right? And my role as, as being co of the company is not that I do things for our employees. No, I need to set the, the context where all the people of DSM, all the 23,000 employees could be at their best every day. And then you win the battle on the outside. And I have to say that gives me huge satisfaction. That gives me a real proud and feel pride on, on, on the winning team which we have in place as DSM. Thank you, Dimitri, for sharing this. That is so beautiful. And do you find yourself going to a state of flow when you're so absorbed in, during the whole race itself? Yeah, I mean, I sometimes go into a flow that I even don't even recognize what you've done. And I think people who do a peak performance sometimes are even amazed by themselves, right? And that's a real flow. I'm going to switch a little bit on, on sports, but 
I'm going to the rowing. I've done within DSM, I think it was six years ago, we were in a, in a team of six people in a rowing boat of eight, right? And we got two coaches at the back and at the front to stabilize the boat. And the six rowers in between, of which rowers were not real professional rowers. It was just people like me who only rowed once or twice. And if you do a fantastic rowing in that boat, it's not about the power and the speed. It's about the synchronicity of the rowing rhythm. Because if you row exactly at the same time and the paddles reach the water exactly at the same time, you basically lift the boat and therefore you reduce the resistance and then you start floating. And it's extremely difficult to row exactly at the same time. And the beauty is that the moment you do, you immediately feel that you're in the flow. The bad thing is the moment that you understand that you're in the flow, you make a mistake and it's all gone. So this moment of flow while rowing a boat is only there for a second. Because the moment you start thinking about it, you lose it completely. But I still remember that moment of flow where you don't really understand what has happened, but it's a fantastic, fantastic feeling. And, and that flow I sometimes also have when I do my biking. And it's very difficult to explain if you would ask me, but Dimi, how, how do you do that? I have no clue. I do the same preparation. I still prepare my bike. I go for reflection. I sleep well. I look at my nutrition. But some days you come into the flow and some days you don't. It's, it's almost like a mystery, right? So, uh, yeah, I'm trying to solve that mystery for myself. But so far, I completely failed. Well, Dimitri, the good news is that this mystery of hacking the flow state is being researched by the Flow Research Collective. So for our listeners out there, if you're interested to find out more, they partner with some of the world's leading universities to decode the neurobiology of peak performance, helping you decode flow states so that you can live and work in the zone. So speaking of flow, do you also notice flow states coming in when you're at work? Oh, absolutely. Um... I have these moments of flow, but the bad thing is it remains moments, right? Because also in work, you reach certain milestones. So for instance, what we are doing today within DSM with the box seven preparation, with the changes to create an innovation pipeline, you have these moments where everything comes together and you really enjoy that moment. And these appear just out of nothing. Right? Just a blink, just a connection. And that is also why I feel that these moments of flow are critical for the success of the company. And, and that is not because you meet people via Teams or via telephone or via computer. You can only create a flow based on human interaction. It's synchronicity, it's frequency. And what I'm trying to do within the company is to move it from one flow to another. Because if you are in this flow... I mean, yeah, you're almost like invincible, right? Um, the beauty is that these moments are absolutely there. The bad thing is that these remain moments. It's never a full day in a flow. But uh, I mean, if I have a few moments of flow a week, I'm very happy. So Dimitri, I really love that you're sharing that, you know, these flow states coming in and you're trying to achieve that. There's a lot of research behind showing that, you know, if you can achieve flow states, creativity and innovation actually gets 400% higher, meaning and purpose increase by 100% and collaboration and cooperation goes up tremendously. You also mentioned that sometimes we can't always stay in the flow. Sometimes we fail. Speaking of failures, do you have a personal example of when you have failed as a leader? 
Yeah, I mean, many failures, um, many mistakes. Um, the issue is how you learn from it. But um, one of my characteristics is that I want to shape things, that I want to move the organization forward, and I want to do that with agility and speed. And sometimes that works against you. So I still remember very vividly my time when I worked in composite resins, where we were uh, have to do a turnaround. Um, we were not making money. The organization was demotivated. And I've put a sort of a first attempt to turn that around, a direction, and it was including that we would increase prices to our products. Because I made this fantastic analysis on price volume sensitivity, and I calculated that you could lose 40% of your business and then still make more profit than if you didn't, and hey, it was a turnaround. So I implemented that price increase pretty quickly. I got feedback from the organization say, this is too fast. Here we will alienate ourselves from the customers. Um, and I said, yeah, but we need to do this. And in all fairness, I had to come back on that decision after a month because we've, we've lost big customers. We've lost confidence. It wasn't a surprise because we got the feedback throughout that process. But I, I basically said, we need to do this. And it was a big learning lesson that even if you think it's the right track, you need to continuously monitor uh, where you are on that track. So if you go and decide to go right, on that path to go right, you need to check whether the right is still the right direction. And I failed to do that. And I hope I've learned from that. Because today, um, I think I have a team who basically pulls me back once in a while. But also as a person, uh, I hope I've been a bit more mature and sanity check more frequently than ever whether we're still on the right track. Because I have such a strong passion and intensity. You ask me, how would your children describe you? I'm intense, I'm passionate about the direction and, uh, and also shaping uh, going forward. But you need to sanity check on a continuously basis if that is the right track, because the world is changing so rapidly. That was a big mistake. I lost the game in my eyes, right? And because of that, uh, it was not only me, but it was the whole organization who was suffering from that. That was a huge learning lesson. A second learning lesson was, and I think I've shared it before, is um, you should never jeopardize safety. And, uh, and you've known that we've done an acquisition in Taiwan, AGI. After the acquisition, we had a, an incident where three people were injured. And that also shows that whatever strategy and plan you have, incident and injury-free is an absolute foundation for who I am. And, uh, and I've learned from it. And I hope that you also see that. That's one of the reasons why, as a co-CEO of the company today, safety is directly my primary responsibility. So you can't delegate that. And that's also a learning from what I, I learned about 20, 25 years ago. It's, a, it's, it's, it's become part of who I am. You shared that you make a big mistake and even lost some big clients. Yet here you are as a co-CEO. Do you see failure as part of what made you successful as a leader? Yeah, I think failure needs to be part of your learning. And certainly failure and making mistakes which are new. I mean, if you mistake, make the same mistake all the time, most probably I would not have become the co-CEO of DSM, or, or at least that would have been a mistake by someone who elected me as being co-CEO of the company. Making mistakes is part of life, not only professional life, but also personal life. We all make mistakes. The issue is how do you learn from it and therefore don't make the same mistakes over and over again. That's also why the culture compass has a very deliberate, courageous part in it. 
So the courageous part has to do with the fact that it's okay to make mistakes, but you need to learn from it. And even better, if we all make mistakes and we share our mistakes, including what we've learned from it, it also touches upon the caring and collaboration for our employees and our colleagues. So for me, it's a key part of it. And that doesn't stop. So uh, wherever you are in the organization, it's absolutely key. And it's also the type of company we want to be. And I hope that you feel encouraged to learn from your stake. I'm not saying that you should be encouraged to make mistakes. Maybe that's a bit too hard. But if you are courageous, if we are pushing the boundaries, mistakes happen. But learn from it. Indeed, it is okay to make mistakes. And the most important thing is that we learn from it. We talked so much about biking previously, and I wonder if you could play another sport, what would it be? <laughs> Oof, I don't know. I mean, I'm absolutely fond of biking. Uh, I think I will stick to biking. If you would say, hey, Dimitri, if you become very, very old and you're 95 years old and it's very difficult to go on the bike, what type of sport would you choose? Then most probably swimming. Uh, when I was a young kid, I was swimming quite a bit. Um, if you would ask my mum, she was saying every time when we couldn't find where he was, he was swimming in the swimming pool. I like swimming because you feel free in the water, right? And you can still be competitive because I think, yeah, that's also a bit of a, maybe a sad thing. If I go swimming, I always want to do 20 turns, right? So I'm, I'm not just swimming just for fun of it. I will do swimming because I take a next step. I say, hey, we do 20 strokes and then up and down. But I think swimming is linked to a little bit the same rhythm as biking. You can touch your physical boundaries and therefore empty your head, reflect on who you are. And it's a nice complement between physical exercise and mental exercise at the same time. So maybe if I'm 95 years old, by the way, I've promised my wife that I would be 100 years old, then I would select swimming. Thank you. And if you can give only one concrete tip to our audience, how to reach peak performance? Experiment. Oh, love it. Experiment and learn. Because, I mean, you are at a certain level. Just try new things to see whether that helps or not. So experiment and learn and continues to improve. I think that would be my best tip. Thank you for sharing this, Dimitri. And that was a very great tip from you. Thank you so much for being here with us on this episode as well. Absolutely fantastic to do this. Really, really cool. Thanks. Here's a quick recap of what we have discussed in this episode. Number one, Dimitri has a fixed routine to prepare for a peak performance. Number two, for Dimitri, winning and celebrating as a team is much more fulfilling than doing it alone. Number three, it is okay to fail as long as you learn from your mistakes. He even encourages us to be courageous, experiment, try and learn from new things. Now, if you're very interested to find out more about peak performance and what you can do to achieve it, here are some extra tips for you. Number one, multitasking is inefficient and it is best to focus on one task at a time. So stop doing multitasking. Secondly, rest is important for peak performance, but know that not all types of rest are equal. So figure out what works best for you. Number three, Mindset is very crucial for peak performance. Research has shown that if you embrace a positive perspective, you would be more likely to solve challenging intellectual problems. 
For some of our regular listeners, you might remember from the first episode, we did a breathing exercise. Remember in this episode, Dimitri also shared that breathing is very important. So let's go back to that exercise and try it out once more. I invite you to join me, if this is safe for you, to gently close your eyes, observe where your awareness is at this point in time. Now, there is no need to judge if we are stuck thinking about our work or to-do lists. Let's start by emptying the lungs. Breathing in quietly through the nose for 4 seconds. Holding the breath for a count of 7 seconds. Exhaling through the mouth with a sound for 8 seconds. Repeat this cycle up to 4 times. If you can't hold your breath for that long, you can always try a shorter pattern. The most important thing is that you keep the ratio of this breath technique, for example, breathe in through the nose for 2 seconds, holding your breath for a count of 3.5 seconds, exhaling through the mouth for 4 seconds. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Learn FM. Don't forget to share what you have learned from this podcast with others because when we learn together, we grow together.